you sometimes get troubled by your inner critical dialogue. Today, we're speaking with Julia Bueno, psychotherapist and author about how you can learn strategies to deal with that inner critical voice. If you'd like to find out more about how to improve your relationship, head over to therelationshipmaze.com where you can find lots of free information and our online course, The Relationship Maze, and press subscribe right now. Yeah, yeah, Brilliant. 25 minutes is in. So welcome to the Relationship Maze podcast. And today we're really delighted to be speaking with Julia Bueno. Uh, I hope I pronounced her name right. Is that That's right. Yes, that's fine. Uh, who practices full-time as a psychotherapist in London. Her first book, The Brink of Being, talking about miscarriage, won the British Medical Association Popular Medicine Book Award 2000, sorry, 2021 and was the runner-up for the British Psychological Society Book Awards in 2021. So welcome. Thank you so much for being with us this evening. Yeah. Thank and, you uh, very much for having talking. me. Yeah. Sorry, I talked over you, Julia. Um, we're really delighted to be talking to you. Um, Julia and I met a long, long, long time ago when we, we were working at the same university at London Metropolitan University. So I'm particularly delighted to say hello. Um, oh, it's really lovely to reconnect after so long. Yeah. Uh, rookie uh, therapist in my in my in my uh, case twenty years ago, sort of cutting my teeth. <laughs> yes, I know. And look where you got to, right? So all these publications, and we're particularly we were sort of wondering, uh, Julia, whether we should uh, focus on your latest book, uh, Everyone sure. is a Critic, uh, because I thought that would really appeal to a very broad audience. Of course, it's relevant to pretty much everyone, isn't it? Well, yeah, that was the that was the. Uh, impetus the book really having written my first book which was something about a, a subject I knew quite a lot about I was sort of racking my brains for something else to write about and um, until someone asked me a very simple question well what else pops up in your practice all the time and of course you're nodding yeah self-criticism in my experience as a therapist it sort of runs like a golden thread through pretty much every presentation so I mean I have quite an eclectic practice I work with adults mainly individuals very few couples um, but whether they come with anxiety or depression or relationship problems or problems at work or it just m most more often the, the overwhelming majority of times it comes back to you know one's relationship with oneself and there's always a self-critic in the consulting room with me um, and quite often just as a sort of top layer of it in that there's um a, a kind of a reluctance to accept the suffering in the first place or accept the vulnerabilities that are getting in the way anyway so there's this sort of double whammy if that's making sense already that that again is really really common so that the first bit of the work often is is uh yeah um uh, helping someone to sort of have um give themselves permission to be in the room comfortably in the first place Oh, absolutely. And it's not, uh, it's often not even, I mean, what's interesting is it's often this, this voice, this inner voice that tells you, oh, you're not good enough, you know, oh, you should have said something differently, etc. That's often not even uh, part of uh, most people's awareness, isn't it? Well, quite. And and actually, um, I think you're right, because a lot of people do experience it as, as a voice of sorts. But actually, quite often it, it isn't so much a voice it's a sort of a felt sense of um not feeling good enough and and it might take some time to 
to um, articulate it as a part of self or a voice. And and because of that, I think you're right, it makes it very difficult to identify. I think I um, used in the book a a sort of vignette of of someone sort of um, likening it to her childhood um, wallpaper in her room. It was was so familiar, but she couldn't actually describe it. Or, you know, another little anecdote, which I quite like, is... um, that uh, anecdote of the the big fish swimming in the ocean past the shoal of little fish and he says to them you know how's the water kids and they all look at each other and go, what, what's he talking about you know, they, they're not aware of the water so yeah absolutely that that um quite often the work is me pointing out you know hang on a minute what's going on here what are you saying about yourself what are you feeling about yourself and then it comes into view but if you've been mm. doing it for decades mm. um yeah it's very hard to 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 plot out but that's where the work begins is that awareness of it yeah absolutely yeah if you can identify it then you can kind of you you can do some work around it and it's really interesting yeah. just to come back to what you just said there which is um that very often um this inner critic or this sort of this this concept concept of yourself as not being quite worthy enough or not being quite good enough etc is um, experienced on a sort of somatic level, on a on a physiological level, rather than on a, an intellectual level, right? I think both, really. I mean, as I say, you know, you you it can um, be be quite dis, um, uh, easy to discern as a, as a kind of voice or thing. You know, people do often report sort of saying, "Oh, I'm such a bloody idiot, and I shouldn't do that," and "God, I'm you know ugly, or I'm fat, or I'm stupid, or whatever." But what the the somatic kind of it's a shame response really and it's there's and I talk about this in the book you know obviously self-criticism runs from a spectrum from occasionally thinking you're an idiot about some things in your life but you might be quite confident about others um I can be very self-critical about my attempts at drawing portraits or something but but I can have a lot more confidence about other things but in extremists of course it can be really self-attacking and, and contribute to to you know dreadful mental health problems and and a deep sense of shame so that you know that instinct to kind of curl up and and that discomfort and contraction um and that's sometimes quite useful to work with in the room of course as well just if we can locate it bodily and if you're a therapist who works in that way then you know you'll be tilted in that direction too but if you're a therapist who works more on sort of cbt then you might be more along the way of kind of check um sort of reality checking and mm. um yeah, challenging the self-critic in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm just wondering what your thoughts are because I think um, you know, without language, we don't have criticism. We have feelings like anxiety. We have you know, these things, but in terms of criticism, there is language that goes with it because it's sort of um, you know, we may have that feeling, but I think, like you said, like that fish in the ocean. The ocean's there, but we're not aware of it, and it's it's becoming aware of. What are the what you know? What are those words? What are those kind of you know? What is mm. going on in our heads as well? Which, which is key. Mm. Yeah, and and as I say, sometimes the work um, I found is is um, sort of translating that kind of sense of of withdrawal, not good enough, kind of contraction, shame into, um, that, and then making meaning of it. And what my book does through, I mean, it's not a self help book. Um, I I'm would be really bad at, at doing at writing a self-help book so I, I I just found it easier to, to actually the aim of the book is 
to inspire people to to go on and do the work, whether it is on their own or in therapy, whatever, but just through the experience of reading it to inspire people to think, oh, okay, let me just think more about how I do relate to myself. But through this, through the, um, I think I've got seven fictionalized, obviously, case studies, um, I just I tease apart the various common, in my experience, sources of of which there's not usually just one that you know it's not like an algorithm um that contribute to a self-critical internalized self-critic um and uh yeah and thereby that helps again in my experience a lot of people that kind of meaning making that contextualization helps people to put it to words to make to get some more space around it and ideally then get its sticky hands off the uh driving wheel Mm. steering wheel Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. so I'm just wondering. Like, you might not want to talk about it now because it's in in the book. But what are mm-hmm. some of those sources? Ah. The common sources. Um, no, I'm very happy to. Um, although you have to read the book to get there. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so, gosh, uh, I don't know why I'm struggling. It should be all there ready. I mean, one case case study. Actually, the the first case study in the book is is the one that I've had the most um, reader feedback about about in in, in terms of what. Well, all the reader feedback I've had, the most of them have said I really resonated with the first chapter, which is interesting. And it's it's a case of a, a kind of young, very um, driven perfectionist uh, professional woman. She's an architect, and she's sort of living on fumes because she pushes herself so hard, and she she's racked with a constant fear of of cocking up, of making mistakes, of upsetting people. So she, you know, bef- she she worries about uh she sends a report off to her boss who doesn't get back to her and she goes down a rabbit hole of despair thinking oh god it's a terrible report and she sort of rereads it overnight over you know thousands of times and um she'll go out and she'll have too much to drink and then the next day just bathed in in guilt that she said something clunky or upset somebody so she's got this very very vicious self-critic and through the conversations that we have we 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 piece together various sort of sources including um a very uh, d- demanding, um, uh, emotionally absent father who who was very high achieving, and her only sense of being good enough was to achieve what well at school. So it's you know the A stars and the gold medals and all of that. And mum was psychologically absent, so and he had a very bad temper. So she also internalised a sense of you know I I, um, I can do bad and I'm a bad person because I create. Um, this great distress so that and, and as I said that one was seen to resonate with a lot of people because of um, a lot of people have had the experience of um, explicit or implicit kind of criticism from parents but other ch- other chapters um, you know I tried to do my best to broaden it out as much as I could so I have another chapter um, my last chapter and there's a sort of sort of chronology to the chapters but my last chapter is working with an older woman who um, actually comes with me comes to me with writer's block um mm. she's always wanted to be a writer and she's her five kids have fled the nest and she's had a whole uh, selfless life of devotion to her kids and grandkids and people in the community and anyway she came what emerged in the, in the conversations is actually she came from a very orthodox christian upbringing where the wrath of god was ever present and even thinking about herself causes her to feel enormously sort of selfish and um, sinful and critical of herself. But So that's another story. But in the other stories, I explore kind of um, internalised misogyny and racism and homophobia. 
Um, and and I would, wouldn't I, also include a chapter because there's something for my first book explored in great depth. But it's my only chapter where I have a couple actually who come to see me who uh, have um, uh, struggled with infertility and were going through fertility treatment and a uh, uh, miscarriage and another pregnancy and mm-hmm. the great sense of sort of being situated in a very pronatal society as I believe they feel a great sort of sense of failure and not mm-hmm. having to achieve that also the the woman of the couple is going through grief of her dying her, um, father and that she sort of takes on a responsibility for that anyway so there's quite a lot there as you can see I've rambled on um, because that's my experience you know that, that there is such a uh, broad um kind of repertoire of potential contributing factors to our self-criticism we're constantly internalizing things but um and oh I should not sorry I should not forget the the early chapter which is a young uh generation z uh um who is yeah assailed by social media right okay uh on top of various other things going on so yeah maybe it's ambitious but uh that would be a good narrative as well of course yes absolutely yeah so there's always this um absolutely the underlying thread here as you say is always the uh internalized messages yeah Mm. from earlier experiences usually in childhood so something that was picked up by someone about how to be the right person or how to be how to be yeah uh, yeah, and and the, the kind of growing up in a world where there are evalu- external evaluators, you know, what is good enough? And mm-hmm. and going back to the kind of social media thing, you know, I still f- feel a kind of real sense of relief um, that I, I grew up in the 70s and 80s that I uh, didn't have social media in my teens. Mm. And it was bad enough as it was with you know peer groups and what was it Jackie magazine once a week but um so you know arguably in, in more recent years we've got sort of more of a g-force of external evaluation going on that we well we know we know from the data that is contributing to our sense of self in the world um and yeah and 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 it's usually a composite um stories that, that yes things picked up in childhood that leave us ever vulnerable to to, to having a to sensitivity um, to feeling criticised or judged. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And it could, it could also be more recent experiences, as you say, right? It doesn't always have to go back to yes, and, oh, and so. I've Yes, and I've spoken to, I mean, as I'm going back to kind of pregnancy loss, which is something, you know, that, I, that I'm particularly well about too, but I've spoken to many women who would describe, um, you know, using their words, sort of very charmed existences, very happy, happy lives until they experience their first kind of major life event and losing a losing their a pregnancy, and that being life changing and really corrosive to their sense of self and the world. And it it can really, I, I mean, I, I, I try not to exaggerate, but it can it can really sort of smash an identity in the world. So yeah, just for one example, on this idea that of you have to be a mother at some point in your life, otherwise. Well, yeah, our core identity for for a lot of women is 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 yeah, being a mother to be a proper woman in the world. It still it still lingers, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm. 
mentioned. Yeah, and I suppose some of these early, earlier belief systems in childhood that we internalize that also lead to how resilient you are in certain circumstances that ha- happen now. So you may mm. have experienced things in, in a way that you describe as happy or kind of positive earlier on, mm. but because of those belief systems, certain events now, traumatic events, may kind of just conflict with those belief systems which may have served you at one point in a certain way but now cause this uh, difficult uh, sense of who you are you lose sight Mm. of you know yeah a dissonance yeah Yeah. this cognitive dissonance yeah Mm, that's right I was also wondering uh, Julia what you think about the idea that maybe this uh, self-critical voice can also serve a, 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 a positive purpose yeah I mean that comes up a lot in conversations and um I guess it's um it boils down to semantics perhaps I think I certainly speaking of myself definitely need to wrap myself around the knuckles at times um of course we need to keep ourselves in check and we can't be flawless human beings who are not going to cock up and you know, upset people or get something wrong but I guess the idea is, I mean, this is nicking language from Kristin Neff, who is the kind of leading expert um, researcher on self-criticism. It's her life's work at the University of Texas. And she 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 differentiates between self-correction and self-criticism, which I find very useful. So, you know, self-correction being a sense of, okay, I cocked up, let's think about this. What have I learned from it? Dust yourself down, get on with it. Whereas self-criticism, you know, as we've been talking, can can be can put us in a kind of place of fear, and at worst, can just sort of send us down a rabbit hole of, mm. um, you know, great distress, and, and doesn't necessarily kind of serve us or help us to to learn and move on. Yeah. So, it's um, just so I, yeah, mm. yeah, and it's it's not about kind of letting yourself off the hook in the self correction. When you correct yourself, you, you can still say, oh, you know, I I I didn't do well there. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, well, I might need to wonder as well that yeah. that's got a judgment though, and so I mean, it's in terms yeah. of you know we all have feedback. Everything we do has feedback, sure, very positive or negative. It's just mm. everything has a result. Whereas mm. our behaviours, even our thoughts, they all have mm. some sort of result. And it's when we start to put any sort of label on it that, in some way, is that really helpful? Is it helpful to say I cocked up or just noticing? Well, okay, this didn't mm. produce the result that I want that is useful. Um, you know, it's about doing something differently. Wow. So it's, it's taking <clears throat> any evaluation out maybe is, is I think that's useful. impossible. Um, I'm thinking about when I work on a paint, I paint, right? That's my other uh, work, piece of work. So when I when I paint, I, I, I need that. I need to also look at my, you know, my creative outputs in a critical way, yeah? In a self-critical way. So it's an interesting, it is, it's a fine line. Yeah. Yeah, it is a fine line, and I guess you know it. it, it and again, it gets sort of semantic. Whether it's the, the criticism with constructive criticism, criticism with compassion, criticism with a from a place of of wanting you to do well. I mean, one the one way I root it in my mind is just is is um, the analogy of. I certainly had the experience. I can still remember it way back when, all those decades in primary school. I had a teacher one year who was just brutal i mean we literally would would stand in the corner of the if you did you know got a spelling wrong we would have to stand with our back to the class there was a very very public um star chart and black mark if you you know did something wrong you would have a big black um mark by your name so it was visible to everybody it was really humiliating and she was 
very frightening. And the following year, we had a Montessori. I still remember her name. She had lots of long, long blonde hair, and she took, kicked her shoes off and walked around with her 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 um, bare feet. And she was very encouraging, lovely. And you know, I've got my school reports. Right. I can you know guess which one I throw. So she, yes, teacher B would. Um, would point out our mistakes or say you know that was that you know two plus two doesn't make five but it's 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 where it comes from a place of fear or a place of um compassion and and desire to to do better yeah absolutely i hope that kind of clarifies that a bit for me anyway it helped yeah yeah this question of like sort of you know useful feedback in a sense yeah and i think but we yeah. We also know, I mean, and I can't quote you on statistics because I'm rubbish at remembering them. I have to kind of write them on the back of my hand. But this is something that Kristen Neff is all about, but all her research, which is more and more and more coming out every year. So it's it's really gaining momentum, shows that, yes, you can achieve well uh, through, self-critical, through self-criticism, through pushing yourself through perfectionism, and, but it's not sustainable and it burns us out. And it and it has a big collateral damage. Um, and what we know, what we also going back to the kind of teaching things, what we've learned in, in teaching is that what the best way to get long lasting results out of human beings and sports psychology, I think, is really taking that on. Is um, you know, yeah, is, is criticizing, evaluating in in more compassionate ways. Yes. Yeah. In more helpful ways. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry, I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It's not helpful exactly, yeah. and it's just corrosive. It's undermining. Mm. It's uh, it's not actually helping you to achieve in the long run any better than that. And it's also really, it's why you know, it's so um, we are our worst enemies. Uh, what I find always very interesting working with clients is that they can be so harsh on themselves, so harsh, so questioning, so undermining of themselves in a way that they would never be with anyone else in their lives. Quite. I mean, that's that's the kind of... Their partner, their family. So why do it to yourself, right? Well, that's the golden question, isn't it? And that's often where we start, you know, hang on a minute. You've just described yourself as X, Y, Z. Would you say that to your... I mean, they wouldn't even... Quite often in my my experience, they wouldn't even say it to a stranger. It's not even their loved ones. No, No, absolutely but it's a useful that's i think that's a useful anchor to or at least to to provoke some thought around exactly that mm. why do you treat yourself differently and then with that that's the next bit of work let's think about it what mm. what went on to make you turn do that u turn on yourself mm. and then and then oftentimes more oftentimes people when they can work out their narrative work out their meaning making you know that can help um loosen the grip a bit Mm-hmm. Um, we we can only have our ideas, can't we? But and we offer them up as therapists. But when, when it when there's a sort of sense of clunk, ah, and I've had that. It's a really beautiful moment when I sat with somebody. Just suddenly the penny drops. Ah, that's what it is. That's that, what it um, is. no wonder. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's also, and you know, sometimes I find it's quite helpful in, in my work where people realise that it's not them doing it to themselves. It's an internalised dialogue. It's yeah. an internalised monologue. You know, it's internalised from what other people have said. So these are sort of mm. thoughts from the past that they carry with them, but they're not. It's not really them. It's it's these thoughts. Yeah. So mm. that separation also can help with finding that sort of self compassion. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, one of the techniques we've talked about is in our podcast, in one of our pod many podcasts before, but, you know, this technique that you also give, a, you you think of this voice as a character, yeah, that is like a kind yes. of attitude as a speaker and usually quite a terrifying character. I think one of my clients chose Aunt Lydia from The Handmaid's Tale, which I thought was wonderful as a as a choice, you know, great character who would kind of boss around and be really horrendous. And I think that can be quite helpful as a way of kind of uh, standing back a little bit. Yes, a little bit absolutely. Just to get distance, yeah. Some to get that, yeah, very valuable distance. Yeah, what am I doing to myself here? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, what did you find? I mean, anything that you find help? I mean, obviously, it's sort of, it's, it's, we know that every client is different. Every client's got a different story and needs different approach but anything that you found particularly helpful in your work julia that you often might say to clients that clients might find helpful when you know when you talk about this critical you know their their self-critical uh a voice felt sense gosh i mean yes hard to sum up and i suppose we've sort of touched on it already i mean i, I suppose the the bulk of my work is um as i say sometimes pointing out the self-critic which mm. Is, can, can be enormously useful to, to just sort of bring into view. Um, but then a lot of the work th through the kind of meaning making and through the discovery process of, you know, what might have led you to internalize this, that it, it can be quite a short piece of work, but obviously we know that it can be quite a long piece of work, which might mean processing some quite traumatic material. So it, that in itself <laughs> is, um, you know, obviously can be, be helpful to be in therapy for that. Um, but I quite often encourage people to, to do practices outside of the therapy room, if, if, you know, regardless of sort of deep trauma work. But um, I might, well, if people are up for it, um, encourage some body work alongside it, like a yoga practice. Or a mind. I'm not a practitioner. I, I do practice mindfulness and uh, I don't practice yoga. But um, if, if, some, if there's a candidate up for those... Um, processes I think they dovetail so beautifully with this kind of work as you say that it's all about getting some distance between us and our self-critic before we we can't work with it until it's in our awareness and then to get some separation from it and to get into dialogue with it something like mindfulness is really helpful or or a yoga practice or if it's tai chi or um, we'll talk about that so I might encourage someone to to do that it's not a deal breaker um But I certainly, and, and the, at the back of my book, um, there's a whole sort of chapter about signposting to sort of other reading that are sort of supportive of, of that. So I, as a general rule with my, the way that I work as a, as a therapist is I try and encourage people to do lots of work in between sessions. It's not just about showing up for 50 minutes. So I'm all about kind of reading and practices and experiment, behavioral experiments. I also do, yeah, I set behavioral experiments. Mm. So, you know, um, Try this out. There's a lot of there's a lot of avoidance work with it. And there's another big topic, but but one of the many ways self criticism shows up is through avoidance. So we might hold ourselves back from 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 doing things because we think oh we're not good enough. So sometimes some of the work is me setting little experiments. Well, send that email, grip the sides, white knuckle it, send the email. Let's you know, let's take it from there. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense, yeah, because a lot of it is also related to how you engage with your anxiety around certain situations. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a tremendous overlap between 
yeah. self-criticism and anxious symptoms. So with the anxious symptoms, there's a lot of body work there. But um, I realise I've got a very flabby answer to your question. But it's, it, you know, as with, I'm sure you, you talk to so many therapists, don't you? It's so difficult to answer oh. questions. No, and there are yeah. so many layers to it. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Is there anything that we haven't asked you that you'd like to say oh, gosh. that would be useful to, to share with us? Difficult question, I know. So. <laughs> yeah, it is a difficult question. I, d- I don't mm-hmm. think so. Um, really? I'm stumped. Yeah, I'm great. sorry. Don't, don't worry just, about it. No. This is, and we'd like to give you a bit of time for, like, to promote anything you like to your book or how people can oh. get in touch with you or and oh, that's very kind you, like, oh well yeah. please do not feel obliged to buy my book however it is a, a you know all good bookstores but my my um my website which is my name julia bueno has details of my books um as does my instagram i it's the only bit of social media i do but it it's it's very boring it's just i basically post books with a fiction or non-fiction, I do a bit of book reviewing on the side as a sort of side hustle. So, um, and and therapy-related books, but often not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Great. Books. So yeah, you can track me down there, and I'm always up for engagement. And great, great. We're very happy to help people. We absolutely. Oh well, thank you. So people can look it up. That would be really helpful. Brilliant. Oh, yeah. well, no, it's been thank you so much. And thank you so much. It's uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Likewise, really good to meet you both. Yeah, lovely. Okay. All right. Take Great. care. Thanks again. Bye. Bye. Bye.